This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Stuart Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. So we are picking back up today in systematic theology. So looking at the beginning of part four. So we've done three parts. Uh, so we've got your handout. We've got quite a bit to look at this morning. So I'm going to jump right in. So just as a quick review, uh, some of you have, have kind of joined us since we started systematic theology. So a quick word about what systematic theology is because it sounds scary. Um, we did not start it on the week of Halloween for that purpose, but it, it, it can be uh, a little frightening at times. The, the thing that I will ask you to, to do today is not be scared of that Jeopardy category. So how many of you have ever watched Jeopardy? You know what Jeopardy is? Yes. Um, you know, Jeopardy periodically has a category that says 15-letter words. We have some of those today. So don't be scared of that category. 15-letter words mean a whole lot of smaller words. So it just means somebody got their PhD for coming up with a new term, and that's okay. So we'll get there this afternoon, or later this uh, morning. So let's look at what is systematic theology, and it's, it's very, very straightforward. Systematic theology is any study, uh, this is your quote from Grudem here, that answers the question, what does the whole Bible teach us today? So this is looking through the entire scripture for one particular topic, and Grudem has divided his systematic theology up into seven different parts. Uh, we have looked so far at the doctrine of the Word of God, we did that back in 2014. Uh, we have looked at the doctrine of God, uh, the doctrine of man. And then uh, today, through the really the end of November, we'll look at the doctrines of Christ and the Holy Spirit. So your first question may be, well, you said we already looked at the doctrine of God. Yes, we did. So we looked at God and the Trinity uh, and a pretty good bit about God the Father. But we did not look at, in depth at Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start that uh, today and go five weeks in that. Now, in 20. 16, we will look at uh, the doctrine of, uh, Grudem calls it the application of redemption, which is just salvation. Uh, I say it's just salvation, like it's some small thing, right? <laughs> it's salvation. Uh, the doctrine of the church, and then maybe at the end of 2016 or the beginning of 2017, we'll look at the doctrine of the future, which is end time events, those types of things. So, All right, so let's look at uh, part four, uh, the doctrine of Christ and the Holy Spirit, and we're going to start today with the person of Christ. So, when we finish today and somebody asks you, what did we talk about in Sunday school? Literally, the answer is Jesus. Jesus. We talked about Jesus today. All right? So today's lesson is really in three different parts. A is the humanity of Christ. That's your second blank. It should be on your, on your hand out there. The humanity of Christ. So we're going to look at a lot of verses to talk about the humanity of Christ. We're going to look at the divinity of Christ, and then we're going to look at how does that kind of fit together and what have been some, some errors in church history that kind of wreck that whole thing. So we'll look at that today. All right, so when you, when you talk about the humanity of Christ, you, you really kind of have to start at the virgin birth um, because that's really where the humanity of Christ begins. So uh, Matthew 1.18, so the, the verses that are on your handout, we will be looking at them today. So... Uh, I'm going to, I think that I narrowed them all down to just the ones that we will be looking at. So, 
All right, so Darla, you got Matthew 118. Who's got Matthew 2638? I'm going to assign these out and then we'll be able to get to them pretty quick. Matthew 2638. Zeke, you got that? Matthew 2638. Awesome. John 1135. Caleb, you got that one? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Matthew 1353 to 58. Right here. It's Jessica. Excellent. All right, so the virgin birth. So, Darla, what we got for Matthew 118? This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, right? So we have, uh, and there's lots and lots and lots of verses about this, but there's significant doctrinal importance of the virgin birth. Um, You know, we have to have a Savior who is fully God and fully man. If you're, if you're partly God, you don't satisfy the requirements. If you're partly man, you don't satisfy the requirements. And that statement is going is to really be our hinge point for just about everything that we talk about this morning. Um, and, and the virgin birth here makes, it's a quote from Grudem, makes uh, possible Christ's true humanity without what he calls original sin, uh, which is, is a big deal. Um, because if Christ had a sin nature, then he is not an acceptable sacrifice. This is a problem. This disqualifies. Uh, so, so some of you are familiar with the, uh, the process for applying on a job at your workplace, right? You familiar with this process? And if you don't meet certain requirements, you do not get to apply on that job. So it just doesn't, doesn't work, right? Uh, Amy, do you have any experience with this? Yes. Yes, got some experience with this. Good. Uh, and, and this is the job requirement for the Messiah, for the Savior of the world, is fully God and fully man. And if you don't meet both of those, there's a problem. Okay, so let's keep that in mind as we go through today. So, uh, Grudem spends a, a good bit of time talking about Jesus' human weaknesses and limitations. Uh, I, I didn't put it on your handout, but Luke 2.52, that may be something you want to write in at some point, uh, his human limitations. Um, does anybody know that verse off the top of their head? Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Uh, my dad made me memorize that when I turned 12 because he said that is your goal from here on out in your development, to increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So you get smarter, you get stronger, your relationship with God improves, your relationship with men improves. He said that will encompass what you need for life. I was like, oh, Cool. And we got it all in one verse. That was great. So uh, the fact that Jesus increased in wisdom implies that he went through a learning process. He went through a learning process. So somebody taught him how to read. His human body needed to learn how to read. His human body needed to learn how to run and how to play and how to do these different things. Yes, he was fully God. Uh, The statement that I will not be able to get over us sitting next to... Um, what's his name, Jules? <clears throat> was on the stage Sunday night. We finished up that series. No, not Joel. Uh, Terry Brown, thank you. And Terry Brown's talking about the divinity of Jesus Christ and how even when Christ was in the womb that he was sustaining and holding all the universe together. I was like, uh, okay. He said, yeah, I'm going to go one more step. When he was one cell... He was sustaining and holding the universe together. And I went, uh, my brain wants to break now because that's a really hard thought. How do, we, how do we wrap that? Well, he's fully God, right? So he can do that. But he developed as a human being. So there was a point at which 
he was a baby and he was a toddler and he was uh, a teenager. Teenage Jesus. How about that, right? Interesting. And he was the oldest of his siblings. Yes, he had siblings. He was the oldest of his siblings. So I can imagine Mary and Joseph, why can't you be more like, you know. Just, that would be, what a standard to follow, right? I mean, what, if you think that through, just the, the real earthly, fleshly implications of that, what a standard to follow. Uh, but Jesus also had a human soul and human emotions. So who's got Matthew 26, 38? Zeke? Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Who is speaking here? Uh, Jesus. Jesus. So he says he has a what? My soul. My soul is what? Exceedingly sorrowful. Sorrowful. Has anybody ever had a sorrowful soul? Mm. Today you're like, oh, oh. Yes. That's a human emotion. It's a human soul with a human emotion. John eleven thirty five. I bet some of you have this memorized. Jesus wept. Yes. Is that, is that the verse I gave you, Caleb? Excellent. Good. You did a fine job reading your first verse in Sunday school. I appreciate that. Well done. Um, yeah, Jesus wept. He, saw, he was at Lazarus' tomb, and his friend had died. And his humanity saw that and, and wept. And that's good. We, we can relate with that. Uh, Matthew 13, 53 through 58. Who's got it? Ms. Jessica. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? He was teaching where? In the synagogue. In his hometown, right? So he went home, and they were what? Amazed. They were amazed, because that's not the guy they remembered. They remembered, here's your blank, People near Jesus saw him as only a man. Saw him as a man. And he comes back and he preaches and it's like, whoa, where did this, that's pretty neat. That's different. You're different. Yeah, absolutely. He was different. He was a good man, but just saw him as a man. All right, let's keep going with this concept. Um, Number three here is extremely important. What do you think goes in the blank? Less, L-E-S-S. Sinlessness. Romans 8.3. Who's got it? I didn't assign it out, did I? Justin, Romans 8.3. Need a 2 Corinthians 5.21. Josh, and then Hebrews 4.15. You got it? Awesome. All right, Justin, you found Romans yet? It's in the New Testament. Awesome. Romans 8.3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In the what of sinful flesh? Likeness. Do you remember this verse from last week? We talked about this verse last week. Yes, Sean looked at Romans chapter 8. He talked about the likeness of sin. Not, not sinful flesh, but the likeness of sinful flesh. So he was, he was close to that, but not sinful flesh. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Who's got it? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Who's this person that knew no sin? Jesus. Jesus knew no sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Which is ridiculous. This is one of the most truly spectacularly ridiculous verses in all the Bible. When I think about my life and that God is going to call me righteous, that is a wonderful substitute. I grew up playing basketball. And basketball is a game of five people on the court for one team and five people on the court for another team. And periodically throughout the game, you can send in a substitute when somebody gets tired or when somebody screws up or somebody needs a break or whatnot. 
And almost always when the substitute comes in, something improves because there was a reason for bringing this person out. This is not just an improvement. This is Jesus steps onto the court and tells me to sit down and not stand up again, right? Because he is going to take over. This is the equivalent of Michael Jordan coming into the game for me in my middle school basketball game. I think we got this. We're going to be all right. Beautiful, beautiful substitution here. Um, All right, so uh, Grudem asks a question. Do you guys have a number four in your notes there in that section? There's a reason I skipped this section in Grudem's notes. The question Grudem asks is, could Jesus have sinned? Could Jesus have sinned? Uh, If you want a Google exercise this afternoon, you can study on the impeccability of Christ. Now, I I will tell you, when you look down this hole, the Cheshire Cat is at the end of this hole with Alice and Wonderland. It is a deep, deep hole, but it is a fun one to examine. So the impeccability of Christ, if you want to take the challenge for today. All right, so why was Jesus' full humanity necessary? So why did we need a fully human sacrifice? Because what? That's what we are. We have to have somebody that can take our place. If he's not fully human, he's not taking our place. He's got to be fully human to take our place. All kinds of reasons that Grudem gives uh, in his notes here, but the, the primarily one for us uh, is to take our place and to, to be this mediator. And then number six, this may be something that you've thought about. It may not be something you've thought about, but Jesus will be a man forever. He will be a man forever, which is kind of cool. Think about those texts in the book of Revelation that we have just so recently been familiarized with. When we see Jesus come back, what does he look like? like a man. He's riding on a horse. You know what rides on a horse? A man rides on a horse. Right. He's going to invite us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a table. Who sits at a table? Man sits at a table. There's a throne. Who sits on a throne? Man sits on a throne. That's, he's going to be a man, which is really kind of cool because we'll be able to relate with him in that way forever. Which is wonderful. Which is one. To me, that is that is the reason that heaven is so attractive, is that my Savior will be there, and we will be able to engage with Him in a way that will be understandable and relatable, and that will make all the difference. Now, you can keep the gold streets. It sounds to me like a real hassle if something goes wrong to repair gold. Um, you can keep the angels. I don't really. Everybody in the Bible that saw an angel was scared to death. I don't like being scared. You can keep your angels. I want me some Jesus. All right? You give me that, I'm in good shape. So that's, that's what heaven I'm excited about. So that's the humanity of Christ. Uh, B here is the what? The deity of Christ, right? The D-E-I-T-Y. This is a word that I never spell correctly. Does anybody struggle with spelling deity correctly? Can I get one? Yes. All right, I got two, three, four. All right. The easy way to remember is if you spell it D-I-E, which is wrong, that's die. Jesus. Oh. Except when he died on the cross. So that was kind of an important one. Deity doesn't die. Okay. All right. I like that. That's good. So Grudem talks about some uh, direct scriptural claims that Jesus is God. I'm not, there, are, there are hundreds and hundreds of verses in this space. Uh, Matthew 17, 5. Tim, can you look that one up? Uh, Hebrews 1, 8. You got it right here? Hebrews 1, 8. Excellent. So... 
some of the biggest scriptural claims that Jesus is God is that the Bible actually uses the word God of Christ. Let's just start there, right? Do we need to look at a lot of verses on this? We good with that? Everybody nod your head yes if we're good with that. Excellent. Jesus, uh, the Bible uses the word Lord of Christ. It's the, the Greek word kurios. Now this can mean like a, uh, it's almost like saying yes sir to a master, yes sir to a boss. But many times in the New Testament it's, it's, it's referring specifically to God. Uh, and then there's just a host of other verses that talk about Jesus as God. Uh, Matthew 17, 5. What you got, Tim? While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed Who's speaking? Jesus. Yep. Uh, the overshadowed them. The cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, "This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him." Yes. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Absolutely. So when you don't read it with enthusiasm, you have to tell the listeners what the what the uh, punctuation is. So I appreciate that clarity as you read the scripture. Um, that'd be awesome. Go read the scripture in a boring way. Exclamation point. Yes, that's awesome. It's like a mic drop. There you go. Uh, Hebrews 1.8. Hebrews 1.8. Yes. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. So if you've listened to Gary Jared preach more than two sermons, he has mentioned this verse about five times on how Jesus is God. This is the Father telling the Son, your throne, O God, with a capital G, is forever. This is Jesus is God. Um, he possessed attributes of deity. He did miracles. He did all these sorts of things. Now, the, the question that Grudem asked in number three is, did Jesus give up some of his divine attributes while on earth? And, and I will confess to you that I may have been guilty of either believing or leaning this direction at some point in the past. Uh, and this is specifically called the uh, kenosis theory. Now, when I read this, I thought, that sounds really familiar. So I typed it into Google, and uh, Geonosis popped up. And that's a planet in Star Wars Episode Two, which is why this sounded familiar. So it is not that. It is a theological term. It's from the word kino uh, in Greek. It's from Philippians 2, 5, 6, and 7, where it talks about Jesus emptied himself. You, you remember this? He emptied himself, and he took on himself the form of a... A servant, right? That this word emptied, some theologians in the 1800s in Germany and in England looked at this and said, well, the only way that this can all work together is if God set, a, if Jesus set aside some of his divine attributes when he came to the earth, and that's what this emptying is talking about. And the only problem with that is that if you take away some of what makes Jesus God, is he then still fully God? No, you have like mostly God. Well, I don't want a mostly God Savior. I want a fully God Savior. That's the requirement. Fully man, fully God. If you don't have that, you've got a problem. So the kenosis theory really, really doesn't work, just like the plans that were made on Geonosis in Star Wars Episode 2. You need a way to remember it. There you go. All right. I was really proud of that. I worked Star Wars into... Right? I mean, come on, guys. Come on. All right, number four. Here's Grudem's conclusion. Christ is, what do you think goes in the blank? Fully divine. Absolutely. He is fully God and fully man. Fully divine. Uh, if you, you're mistaken about this, this whole 20-week series that we just finished on the book of Colossians, we mention it over and over and over and over again. He is fully God. He is fully God. We'll skip those three verses there. 
so why was Jesus' deity necessary? Well, if, if he wasn't fully God, just a man couldn't bear the sins of the entire human race. It's too much for one man. God, however, can bear that. Uh, and only, only God could mediate between man and God. So we have to have a fully God and full... Have I mentioned fully God and fully man yet? Okay. If there was something to tweet about today's Sunday school lesson, perhaps it's fully God and fully man. That's Jesus. Absolutely. All right. So C, Grudem gets to the incarnation. The incarnation. I-N-C-A-R. Nation. Yep. Incarnation. So this is deity and humanity in the one person of Christ. So we're going to look at some bad options for just a few minutes. Because one of the things that teachers have liked to do, I've got my hand up, for a long, long time is to take what is clearly taught in Scripture and give it their own twist, give it their own view, give it a new, fresh way of looking at things. And the only problem with that is that most of the time it results in heresy. So, so my, my statement here that I'm going to get to in three pages of notes is that um, the more statements or pictures that we make that are not simply what Scripture says, the more likely we are to result in bad theology. Stay close to the text. When we stay close to what the text of Scripture says, our theology will be right. When we get far away from that, the more steps that we take, the more risk we run of having bad theology. So... Three bad views of uh, how Jesus kind of functions. So I need two helpers, two guys or girls that can hold the... All right, Dave, you want to help me? Tim, you want to help me? Great. So we have renovated this room. Uh, I need one of you to stand on each side and lift it up high. There we go. This is the... um, Yeah, I won't go there. All right. So we've got... Uh, this is going to be Jesus, all right? This is what's called Apollinarianism, okay? So we have Jesus with a divine part and a human part. This is a human body and a divine mind. This is Apollinarianism. Now, this is number one in your notes. The the. Is there, are there any problems with this? He's not half and half. Thank you very much. What part of fully God and fully man is represented correctly by that picture? None. That's not it. We call this Apollinarianism because there's a guy named Apollonus. So the, the great thing about good theologians is they write commentaries. The bad thing about bad theologians is they have heresies named after them. So, careful what you write down. <laughs> right? So, this is Apollinarianism. It says divine mind and a human body. This is not how things work. Where did my notes go? Here we go. Your blank is uh, Apollinarius taught that one person of Christ and had a human body, but not a human mind or spirit. But not a human mind or spirit. So, if my Jesus doesn't have a human mind or a human spirit, how can I relate to him How can he relate to me in the struggles that I have in my mind and my spirit? I can only relate to him in the struggles that I have physically. Well, I don't... The scripture says we can relate to him fully, right? Well, this is a problem. So this is bad theology. Do you have something to erase with? I didn't think that far ahead. Yeah, and that can be great. Thank you. 
I had this going differently in my head, so, you know, that's the way that works sometimes. So Apollinarianism. All right, so the second one... Oh, good, it erased as well. Anybody want to take a stab at pronouncing the second one? Nestorianism, that's right. Nestorianism. Now, Nestorianism is the doctrine that there were two separate persons. So this big rectangle is all of Jesus, all right? That there were two separate persons. There was a human and there was a divine. Now, remember back to when we learned about the Trinity. Remember when we learned about the Trinity? How many persons are there in the Trinity? Three persons. And how many gods are there? One. Three persons, one God. So that means God the Father is how many persons? One. God the Spirit is how many persons? And God the Son is how many persons? One. How many does this show? Two. So now how many members of the Trinity do we have? Now it's not a Trinity, it's a quartity? Quartet, maybe? I don't know. But it's, it's not three anymore. So if you give Jesus two different persons, we no longer have a Trinity. We have something that needs a new term. So He is not a divine person and a human person, some kind of mashed up together. That is, that is not what the Trinity... This is not a correct view of the personhood of Christ. Does this make sense? Everybody with me? All right. So the last one. Here we go. Remember what I said at the beginning about not being intimidated by big words? This is where we need to be right now. I'm going to use red. So, uh, monophysitism. Monophysitism. I'm, I got it, didn't I? Yes, I got it. All right. So Julie had to listen to me playing this word over and over and over and over to try to pronounce it correctly today. So I'm glad I kind of got it. So I'm really excited about this. Uh, this is your Sunday school teacher geeking out. So monophysitism is the view that Christ had one nature only. Okay? That he had one nature only. So he had a human nature and he had a divine nature. And these somehow came together new nature to be this mishmash thing that is all kind of grouped up into one. Now, the good thing about this is that this is one person, right? So we got the personhood right. This is good. The bad thing about this is that he is neither fully human nor fully divine in this scenario. He's kind of a mesh between the two which is really just a different way of drawing the one half over here and one half over here. All right, so this has still got some serious problems to it because you do not have fully God and fully man. All right, now, you still with me? You promise? All right, because it gets a little better. So what is the answer? I'm going to show you what Grudem drew. Grudem drew this picture. I don't like this picture. You know why I don't like this picture? Stop drawing pictures about the Trinity. It's not like... Remember when we talked about the Trinity is not like anything else in the universe. There's a reason God never uses an analogy about the Trinity in the Scripture. Anywhere. Not once. Stop drawing pictures of the Trinity. It is three persons. One God. Each person is fully God. There is no picture that adequately represents that. And then, if you think that you have developed a picture that adequately represents that, what are you going to do with the two natures of Jesus Christ that coexist equally and fully inside one person? There is nothing like that in the universe. Does this make sense? 
You're like, no, it doesn't make sense. Good, it doesn't, because we can't draw a picture of it. <laughs> and when we can't draw pictures of things, we get aggravated, and we think, oh, this is really challenging. I've got to draw a picture to make it make sense. No, you don't. All right, thank you, guys. Appreciate that. So there was a proposed solution to this problem, and it's on the back side of your handout. And this is the Chalcedonian definition of AD 451, which I know you're all familiar with. And I just, I just want to just review with you quickly to make sure that you remember this from your fourth grade theology class, right? Uh, but over time in church history, there were great debates and there were great questions that were raised about these theological concepts. And the, the, the concept of a church council, so leadership from the church would come together and they would debate and they would discuss and they would argue and they would work out very specific wording that would try to describe what they believed about what the Bible taught. This was a definition that was proposed for what do we do with Jesus? How do, how do we describe this person of Christ? So we're going to walk through this real quick. We then, following the Holy Fathers, and the Holy Fathers would have been the, the first few believers right after Jesus, the, the authors, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood. So He's perfectly God, perfectly man, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable or rational soul and body, something that we can understand, co-essential or really equal with the Father according to the Godhead, and co-substantial with us according to manhood. So he, he is God. He is like God. He is like man. He is fully man. He is fully God. You with me so far? In all things like unto us, here's two beautiful words, without sin. You've got to have that in there. Because if, if he's got sin, he's no longer an acceptable sacrifice. Without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the Godhead, and in these latter days, in the days of the earth, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood. So, according to God, eternity past existing. According to man, he showed up on earth, and that's where the man part of Jesus uh, began. One in the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures. You like this next word? Inconfusedly. <laughs> Feels like something that should have been said in The Princess Bride, right? Inconfusedly. It's great. I love it. It's a, it's a wonderful word. Uh, it, I actually added it to my... I added it to my dictionary in Word, and then it showed up red squiggle again later on. I was like, this is weird. Like, Word really does not like that word. Unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. So these two things, these two natures, they exist somehow. The distinction, does your quote end there? Tell me when you're, I, I cut y'all's off a little earlier, right? The distinction of natures being by no means taking away from the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person in one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons. So they're dealing with, we're not two people here, right? Not two persons, but one and the same Son, the only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you go, drop the mic. Man, I'm glad they were smart dudes of old, right? And, and it is good and right for us to study and to wrestle and to try to figure these things out to keep us from heresy, because this is helpful. 
This is helpful when we teach our children not to draw pictures that don't really represent what the Bible teaches. It is helpful to when we explain it to say clearly, this is what the Scripture says. And when it makes sense to us, that is great. Thank you, Jesus, for helping us to understand. When it doesn't make sense to us, praise you, Lord, for your complexity and your wonder and your beauty. And we hope one day to be able to understand more when we have a glorified body that can understand maybe a little more about who God is. So I will state what I said before. I'm reminded that the more statements or pictures that we make that are not simply what the Scripture says, the more likely we are to result in bad theology. Stay close to the text. So I will give you something that is taught in a lot of seminaries across America. And here's Grudem's kind of concluding sentence here. Remaining what he was, so he was fully God from eternity past, right? Fully God. Remaining what he was, he became what he was not. He became what he was not. He became a man because there was a point in eternity where Jesus was not fully man, but there's always a point in eternity where Jesus was fully God. And going forward in eternity, he will always be fully God and fully man. So remaining what he... Past us here. Remaining what he was, he became what he was not, and he will always be those things. So that is the person of Christ. Whoo! Now, I do want to draw your attention to the title of this book. This is the textbook that we're kind of looking through. Systematic Theology. What's that word right there, Darla? An introduction. An introduction to biblical doctrine. This is still the introductory level understanding of who Jesus is. Please, please, please understand with me that the smartest guys and gals that have ever walked on the earth, that have ever written anything down, still only have a scratch and sniff level understanding of who Jesus is. Because we just can't get it. He's too great. He's too wonderful. It is great stuff. It is good news for us. So don't get frustrated if some of this didn't make sense. My notes for today's lesson are nine pages long. Some of it didn't make sense to me. Do you notice that we skipped certain numbers as we went through the... Yes, yes. You want to grab a copy and read those paragraphs? I don't get them. <laughs> didn't make sense to me, all right? I struggled and pushed and pride and it just I didn't get there, but that's okay. I don't have to. Your salvation is not dependent upon my ability to explain the person of Christ. I am so thankful. I am so thankful. All right, so Scripture memory passage. So here's what we do with these. Next week at the beginning of class, I will ask, who has memorized the Bible verse for this day? And what I have is it will be a series of books and CDs and stuff. Uh, I brought some of it up here today. Uh, so we've got all kinds of CDs and books and different things in here. And if you can say your Bible verse, then you get to pick out of the adult treasure chest. <laughs> you like that? Uh, And then uh, the hymn for today is Fairest Lord Jesus. So I'm going to read this for us. Grudem in his book asks a lot of different questions for... Go soak on this. Go think on this. Go wrestle with this. Wrestling is good. You may come away with a limp after wrestling from God, but that's okay. That will remind you of a good wrestling match that you had one day. He gives us a scripture memory passage, and then he gives us a hymn. So the Fairest Lord Jesus. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, son of God, and Son of Man, Thee will I cherish, Thee will I honor, Thou my soul's glory, joy, and crown. Fair are the meadows, fair are the woodlands, robed in blooming garb of spring. Jesus is fairer, Jesus is pure, who makes the woeful heart to sing. Fair is the sunshine, fair is the moonlight, and all the twinkling starry host. Jesus shines brighter, 
Jesus shines pure, than all the angels heaven can boast. Beautiful Savior, Lord of the nations, Son of God and Son of man, glory and honor and praise and adoration now and forevermore be thine. Amen to that. Now, if you really, truly, spectacularly want to go to like the next... I told you to go Google the impeccability of Christ if you wanted a little more. And I told you to go read those paragraphs in Grudem if you wanted a little more than that. If you want to be humbled, like truly, spectacularly humbled on uh, your knowledge level of who Jesus is, there's a link down there at the bottom. It says bit.ly slash Jesus quiz. Challenge. Your Sunday school teacher got 26 out of 30 right. I challenge you to do better. I went and studied about the four. Took the quiz again. Got 28 out of 30 right. (laughs) It's a true-false quiz. It messed with my head. It, 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 I do not. I think I put it in there. It's not infallible and it's very difficult, but it is good. We should struggle with these things. We should push with these things. This is all right. This is good to do. So, thank you for coming to Sunday school today. Hope you saw a little bit more of Jesus. That's what I always want us to see: is a little bit more of Jesus. So, on your handout, on the weekly update, uh, there are two current needs that are in uh, three current needs that are in red. So, we got meals for George and Lisa Jackson. Uh, Going to have be signing up for meals for. Uh, Amy, uh, Matt and Amy Velosin soon, so please let's jump in and do that. Uh, and then the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is on the back. The details are on the back. So if you guys will lean in, engage with your tables, pray as a table, and then uh, you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School.